Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So you're supposed to be inspired by me, but I actually am inspired by that video that Doug made. I mean, man, you take the CFA out and just give me a copy I can take as I travel around to other churches. That's pretty awesome. It gets me excited. But he's reliving old glory days. You know, I don't know about that good third baseman and hitting a mile anymore. But anyway, maybe back in the day. It's so great to be with you guys today. It's a privilege to, to be at our home church. Um, we get to travel and speak at a lot of different places uh, all over the country. But, you know, I don't get the opportunity to speak at my church. You know, I started here in 1989. Yeah, I'm old. 1989. My wife is here longer than that. So really is our home church and we love this church. And uh, anyway, I want to introduce my family. First of all, my wife, Lene, is here with me today. Stand up, please. Thank you. <clears throat> so some of you know, some of you probably don't know that Lene and I have five children. I love the murmurs and the things, the sounds. It's like everybody's sympathy for us or something. I have a, a few of my children here. My, my oldest son is not here. Nathan is a junior at Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, Aaron, second son, is here today. He is a freshman at Carson Newman University playing baseball. Matthew is a 10th grader at J.M. Robinson High School here in Concord. My two girls are across the street. Um, they're at doing whatever, remix or whatever you guys call it. I don't even know anymore. Remix, 8th grade uh, Madeline and 5th grade Abigail is in Kids World. Um, so anyway, it's great to have them with me. I have to travel a lot by myself. You know, as these kids get older, they start getting plugged into stuff, you know, and getting more connections, and I hate to drag them to a new church every week. Um, so anyway, it's great to be here with you and to have them. First, I want to do after that is to say thank you. You know, again, this is my home church. I love this church. I've always loved this church. But as I talk to my missionary colleagues, many times our conversation tends to go to support and, you know, work, right? We're guys, and we talk about work. So, but I hear stories and I hear them talk about their home churches, and I can honestly say I truly believe that no missionary in the Assemblies of God has better support, uh, better partnership, better friendship than I do with you guys. And we're so thankful for your faithful giving and support. Um, you know, when we come home for our itineration, I, I think everybody's automatic thought is, man, you, I bet you guys are so glad to be home. You know, and we are. But it's not quite as easy as that. And we have nothing here anymore. We have no house, no cars, no silverware. I mean, we have nothing. So, I mean, to come back for me is kind of stressful. I know, trust God, don't worry. But, you know, it's always in the back of your mind. How are we going to live when we go back there? But this church has always helped us and went above and beyond anything we could ever uh, expect. And so we're so thankful. Pastor Doug, Pastor Rick, you know. Y'all, you guys, for so long, we thank thankful for you guys. Speed the Light, too. Let me throw that plug in there. You guys, this church raised money for us to buy our Speed the Light vehicle, and uh, we're so thankful. Not only does it transport our family, but we've carried many missions teams in that, in that van. We've carried building materials. We carry Hungarian baseball players. I mean, you name it. So uh, thank you so much for your giving. I want to share with you for a few minutes about what we've been doing. Uh, again, some of you know us, some of you don't, so we'll go back to the beginning. 2004, we left for Dresden, Germany, and uh, we were basically what was called construction coordinators for Central Europe, and um, that means that we hosted mission teams, tons of mission teams, and we built churches, Bible schools, and teen challenge centers in Germany, Poland, Czech Republic, Austria, Slovakia, and Hungary. 
We did that for a term. We came back for our itineration. God moved us to Prague in the Czech Republic. Continued to do the same thing, hosting teams, traveling a lot. But we had a divine appointment with a, a special group of people during that term. And these are the Roma people. I know, I love it because they get these blank stares when I say Roma people. Let me use a different word. Gypsies. Yeah, now everybody knows. Yes, you get, I, I love the, the, the name gypsy because as soon as you hear gypsy, you get a picture in your mind, right? You know, for those old westerns that we used to watch, they would have gypsies. Or even I think a gypsy came through Andy Griffith one, one time, right? Through Mayberry. There were gypsies that came through Mayberry. But what the idea that we have of these gypsies who are traveling around in these wagons and they're fortune tellers and they're, they're liars and they're thieves and they're alcoholics and, you know, just kind of problem people. That's the stereotype that we have of, of what a gypsy is. Unfortunately, that stereotype is, is pretty much reality. And in Slovakia today, there are many Roma across Eastern Europe, across Europe in general. There are tons of Roma people. And they are the European problem. You know, the Europeans see these Roma, these gypsies as the problem. And they have no answer, no solution. You know, they try to give them money. The money just disappears. Nothing improves. Nothing changes. They try to give them places to live. They destroy them. You know, and it becomes like a, a trash heap, and it's terrible, the conditions that they live in. But there's no answer. You know, you can't just throw money at problems, right? It's not the answer. And so, but they have no answer. But God started showing up, and God started doing something special in the Roma people in northeastern Slovakia. And they are getting saved. They're getting changed by the hundreds, by the thousands. It's no exaggeration. I mean, this is not addition. This is exponential growth and revival, and churches are popping up everywhere. The main church we work with in Sabino, Slovakia, uh, Pastor John led a 365 team a few years ago over there uh, to work with us, and uh, that church is about 300 Roma people in that church, and if you know anything about Europe today, Europe is very non-Christian, maybe the most non-Christian continent in the, non-religious continent in the world, less than 2% of Europeans are Christians. Churches are 20, 30, 40 people, 300 Roma people in this church and they're growing like crazy. New churches being planted all the time. I'll go up there and I'll talk to those guys. Hey, what have you been up to? Oh, we started ministering in a new village, you know, like a month ago, two months ago. Well, how's it going? It's going great. We got 80 people meeting in a living room. I mean, it's all the time. All the time we keep hearing these stories. For 10 years we've been hearing these stories. I'll go up and say, hey, you know, what you been up to lately? Oh, we had baptism last Sunday. Really? How many people did you baptize? Oh, we baptized 75 people. Uh, it's, it's truly amazing, and, it, and it, it's, I've never seen anything like it before. But God continues to do incredible, amazing things, and CFA has been involved with Sabino. You know, you guys have invested finances. You guys have invested prayers. You guys have sent people over. Um, and so thank you for your partnership with us to minister to those Roma people. Um, we came back home after that term, and God moved us again. You know, we're kind of strange missionaries. We don't ever stay in the same place. God moved us again to Budapest, Hungary. And uh, we continued to host mission teams. We continued to work with the Roma. But we started to get more local ministry, which was really cool for us because we've always had to travel. And so we helped to plant an international church in Budapest. And we started with about 15 people in a rented culture hall room. And, you know, about five of those people were just the guys who are your friends who were there the first day to support you. We're with you. And, you know, they never come back, you know. But so, I mean, we, did, we had like my family and our other colleagues' families. We were like 12 people, you know. But anyway, we started that church, and it grew, and it grew, and it, to ministering to the international community. We eventually moved out of that room. We got our own place. We've renovated it. It's really cool. I got to pull my tools out and do a bunch of work. Some of you guys remember many days working together. 
But um, anyway, we, we now left Budapest this summer, and we get reports. Even now, our church is like 140 people average. Um, we're ministering to tons of international people who come into Budapest. Uh, many of them who come for business or missionary. We have other missionaries in our church. We have teachers that come over to teach or in our school. But we have a lot of people. This is very interesting. We have a lot of people who come to our church, and they're there one Sunday. They come to Budapest on vacation. You know, if you guys want to go to Europe and have a relatively cheap, great vacation to a beautiful place, come to Budapest. It's amazing. Um, so these people from all over Europe, from all over the world, come to Budapest. They come to, to visit our church on Sunday while they're on vacation, which is pretty cool. You know, we could look at it kind of in a negative way, like, wow, we've got 20 visitors today, and probably none of them are going to be back next week. You know, as a pastor, that can kind of mess with your mind a little bit. But if you flip it around and see it, I think, from God's perspective, he sends us 20 people this Sunday who are going to be here for one day. And he has a chance to minister and do something in their hearts and in their lives. And then what are they going to do? They're going to take it back where they came from. So what a privilege it is to, to be able to minister to so many people from all over the world, changing congregation all the time. But it's really cool. I want to tell you, we, we also have a lot of university students. Budapest is a huge university town. We have Africans, we have Asians, we have Europeans, Americans even, that come and study in Budapest, and they've just been drawn to our church, and that's a, become a really strong core of our church is these university students. And uh, you hear a lot about Muslims in Europe today, right? You know, you hear about refugees, and you hear mostly problems, right? All the problems, and how are we going to deal with the situation, and there are lots of problems. But God is bringing those Muslims to Europe, and there's many of those Muslims are being saved and being changed. They're hearing the gospel in Europe. They're leaving where they came from and being able to hear the gospel in Europe, and great things are happening. And we had a guy one Sunday. Um, our, our community is uh, seasonal. So, so those missionaries, those teachers, the, some of those business people, when the kids get out of school, they go back to their home for their vacations or sometimes for two months, three months. And so last summer, we were kind of left at our church. All of the leadership left, except us. And so we're still there trying to do everything, you know, put everything together. But I was speaking on one Sunday. It was Father's Day of last year, a year ago, Father's Day. And um, a guy came up to me, and he said, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody. He's a new guy at our church. He was asking for the pastor. And the guy says, hi, my name's Amir. And he said, I'm from Iran. And uh, my mom and I moved to Germany and now we come to Budapest, and we're gonna be, I'm going to be here for three years as a university student. He said, I just wanted you to know that I'm not a believer. Okay, and it's no problem. He's like, I, and I want to make sure that you know that and ask if it's okay if I attend your program this morning. <laughs> yeah, I had to suppress the laugh, you know, kind of. <laughs> so I said, man, we are so glad that you're here. Man, it is no problem at all. We welcome you and hope you have a great time here this morning. You are more than welcome to attend our program this morning. <laughs> And uh, so anyway, went on, didn't think anything about it. So we preached about the father's love that day, the prodigal son, how the father loves us with that reckless love that we talked about, right? The, he just wanted the son to come home, you know, and how we're the son and the father loves us so much. He's, he's not going to, you know, we want to go crawling back home and beg forgiveness and he's going to put a bunch of rules and regulations on us. Nah, he just wants you to come home. He's throwing a party for us because he wants us back in the family. And that's what I talked about that day. And Amir came to me after the service, and he said, you know, I've been to some churches in Germany. Uh, he said, but this one's different. He said, but in a good way. It was really good. I'll be back next week. And, you know, I'm just thinking, maybe, maybe not. You know, a lot of people say they'll be back next week, and they're not back next week. So we had an intern from Bible University with us for the summer, and I said, Jonathan, connect with Amir this week. Make sure you meet with him for coffee. We don't want to lose him. We try to close the back door. 
And so he met with him that week, and he came back and he reported to me, and he's telling him, he's asking all kinds of questions. He's very interested in Christianity. And he told me that during that service while you are preaching, he was crying like the whole time. That's a good sign. So the next Sunday, Jonathan, uh, Amir comes back. The next week, Amir meets him for coffee. The next Sunday, Jonathan comes back. The next Monday, Jonathan meets him in Budapest in a Starbucks coffee shop in Budapest, Hungary. As they sit down to the table, Amir just looks at Jonathan and says, okay, how do you do it? Jonathan's like, how do you do what? And he said, how do you give your life to Jesus? And so right there at that table in Starbucks, they prayed, and Amir gave his heart to the Lord. He looks up from his prayer, and he says, now I need to get baptized. (laughs) We're like, man, you've really been studying. So the next Sunday, we baptized him in a swimming pool, and uh, you'll see that on the video a little bit later. But anyway, God's doing great things through the church and with the international community in Budapest. Uh, We really miss those guys as much as we love being here with you. That's the kind of the dichotomy that we have, you know. We love being here with you, but, you know, we miss those guys as well. Um, We also started a youth ministry. We thought that was 25 years in our past and uh, was long gone and never to be even looked for again. But uh, God impressed on our hearts. We saw kids falling through the cracks and uh, even kids at our school that were classmates of our kids, they didn't have a place to get plugged in. Even missionary kids from other denominations in their churches, they didn't have a place. And we're like, somebody needs to do that. Somebody should start that youth ministry. Somebody, you know, and what happens? You say, God, send somebody to start that youth ministry. What happens? A lot of times. Hey, why don't you do it? Okay, sure. We'll try. It never started a youth ministry before. So we did. We started again with about 12, 15 kids in a friend's living room uh, before Christmas about four years ago. And that youth group grew. We moved to our living room. Uh, then we moved to our church when we got our, our church building, and we left our last meeting, had 51 kids in our youth group from even most of them other missionary kids. We had, you know, Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Nazarenes, no Pentecostals. I mean, there was no AG. There were actually two other AG kids, not out mine. <laughs> so, I mean, we kind of had to talk about worship. Everybody has a different church culture and a different idea of what church looks like. You know, most of these churches don't have response time. They don't have altar time and all that. And so we really are like, what are we going to do? I'm like, hey, we're just going to teach these kids and try to steer the ship slowly. And we talked about worship and why we raise our hands and why we put our hands on people and pray for them. And, and we talked about an altar and what does it mean to come to an altar just to get along with God and meet with God and so many things we talked about for so long. And, and God started changing that, that, that culture of our, even our kids in our youth ministry. And by the time we left, there were kids who had filled the altars on their hands and knees praying. They would, I would look over and there's a group of kids and they're all hugging each other and praying for each other. And you know, the cool thing about it is they don't have that at their church. But they did at our youth group. And it's a great thing to see what God was doing in the lives of those young people, even other MKs. So cool things that God is doing. But one more thing I want to tell you about really quickly. Does anybody here, please, okay, wait. Don't let me down on this, all right? I'm asking a question. I'm, I'm giving you notice. I'm asking you a question. You need to respond. Okay? Is anybody here that likes baseball? I don't know, man. What is happening to baseball in the United States? I mean, I'm coming here and I'm like, baseball, apple pie, Chevrolet. I don't know what's going on. It's not there. I'm like, okay. So imagine as I say baseball, fill in the blank with your favorite sport basketball, football, hockey, I don't know, soccer, right? How many people here like baseball? There we go. There. See, it makes me feel so much better. 
So we got to Hungary. Two of my kids love baseball. And, uh, you know, we thought, man, there's no baseball in Hungary. <laughs> like, really? Sorry, guys, four years, no baseball. As soon as we got there, we found out through some colleagues, got an email from the school, there's a baseball camp. Like, man, where's the baseball camp? It's in Budapest. We live right outside the city limits in, in Budapest somewhere. Oh, no, it's like 10 minutes down the road. What? Baseball camp? Well, where's the baseball field? Oh, it's like 10 minutes down the road. Seriously, there's baseball here. And uh, so my kids went to baseball camp, and they started playing immediately with Hungarians. These are Hungarians. These are not expat. These are not American kids. These are Hungarian kids playing baseball. My kids were two of the few Americans that were playing on the team. So it wasn't long till they said, hey, you know, you played baseball. Why don't you coach? We'll talk about this in a minute, but all these excuses come through my mind, you know, and I'm just like, wow, okay, so I'm already involved in like these three other things. I don't really have time. I don't speak Hungarian, <laughs> you know, I, we've just been here like a month. And uh, also, I was, I played baseball my whole life. That doesn't mean I can coach baseball, right? You guys ever coached before? You might have been a great player, but it doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. <laughs> Maybe you're a terrible player and you might be a great coach. You know, it's a whole different thing. I know how to hit a baseball. I know how to throw a baseball. But for me to tell somebody that's never touched a baseball, this is how you throw. You got to do it. It's a whole different thing. So I had all the reasons to say no, all the reasons why I wasn't going to do it. And so I go up to the guy, and I'm ready to say no. And I go up to him like, okay, yeah, I'll do it, <laughs> you know. And uh, I ended up coaching for three years. Loved it. You know, we were all at the ball field, my whole family. Boys played. My wife was, was there all the time. My daughters were there. Don't ask them. They, don't, they didn't enjoy that so much, being at the baseball field all the time. But what a great ministry it turned out to be. We had connections with Hungarian kids and their families that we never would have crossed paths with. These are unchurched people, and we got the chance to, to build relationships with them. And the baseball in our club, our particular club, is ministry. So, you know, we have summer camps, and we do character development. That's a code word for stories from the Bible teaching from the Bible. You know, we don't want to scare the people off and like, yeah, we've got a Bible out and we're telling your, preaching to your kids, so we kind of trick them. Uh, anyway, sort of maybe. <laughs> so yeah, we do character development and we talk to the kids, you know, topics that apply to baseball that are from the Bible and, you know, we talk about God. We do give invitations and we travel in these tournaments and uh, let me tell you, show you real quickly. I, I found myself one day, to my amazement, you know, wearing this jersey. So this nobody from Concord, North Carolina, ends up in Hungary coaching the Hungarian national baseball team in a European tournament in Poland. You say yes to God, you never know where you're going to end up or what you're going to be doing. But it was so cool. I felt like I was in the Olympics. You know, they're carrying the flag, Hungary, you know. I'm like, I don't even speak Hungarian, but. So much fun, but great ministry. We had kids that got saved. We had kids that um, got baptized. We had several of those kids that came kind of passing through our youth group at different times. So God's doing great things even through baseball in Hungary. So I want to thank you guys because you're a part of all that. You know, through your missions giving. And I sat here for so many years listening to missionaries come, missionaries come, and they would, they would tell their great stories. And, and something in my heart would just kind of jump. And I would think, man, I wish I could be a part of that. I would love to be a part of that. Oh, you're not going to fly to South Africa, or you're not going to, you know, what are you talking about? But one day God opened my eyes to the reality that when I give to missions, when I pray for missionaries, I become a part of their ministry. For real. So, oh, now I'm excited. 
about giving to missions because every time somebody would come and it would resonate with me what they were saying or maybe their particular part of the world just drew me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a part of that. You know, I want to share in the rewards for what they're doing. I want to be a part of that. Give money, give money, pray for those missionaries because truly when you put those dollars in the offering plate, you become a part of the ministry of all the missionaries that CFA supports. When you hear the reports of what I just said or other missionaries or videos or newsletters, you can say, "What? this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is our ministry, and we're all sharing those rewards one day when we get to heaven. So thank you so much for, for being a part of, of all that we do. Doug, Pastor Doug, please, I want you to come up here real quickly just as kind of another way of showing appreciation for CFA and for many years of support for us. I have a, a baseball bat. And it says, thanks to CFA for years of faithful support and partnership and ministry to the people of Central Southeast Europe, the Oakleys. Let me give that to you for your office, for whatever. <laughs> Anybody can give a certificate or a plaque. Let me give a baseball bat. How cool is that? People go in his office and say, man, where'd you get a baseball bat? So I talked to you guys about character development, right? And can we take a few minutes today and do some character development? Is that okay? All right, so we're going to kind of make this real. So I have to, uh, you know, I told you we did this with the baseball guys, so I have to look the part. Actually, the reason I do it is because the only time you get to wear a hat in church. Sorry, Pastor Tom. He's not here. But anyway, character development. So basically, let's set this up to where we have baseball camp in the summer. It's 90 degrees outside. You've been practicing all morning, going from station to station, doing baseball drills. You're hot, you're sweaty, you're tired. And now it's time for lunch. We sit in the dugout. You guys are sitting in our dugout, and we got your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and your banana and some water, I don't know, for you guys to eat for lunch. And here's time for character development. So here we go. We do not, I don't, we don't stand there with the Bible, and we don't, you know, again, we're, we're tricking them. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't, we're not preaching at them. We want to share topics that are relevant, but topics from the Bible. We're going to talk about God. So it's very informal, very conversational. So we pick simple things, and we're going to pick something that you guys probably, I'm sure, if you've been in church or even not been in church, you're familiar with this, David and Goliath. You guys know this, right? If not, we probably need to take a class or something. Anyway, David and Goliath. So we start out this story of David and Goliath, and we have the Israelite army and the Philistine army, and they're kind of facing off against each other on opposite hills or mountains, probably big hills, right? And I love the wording from the Bible. It says they were arrayed, the Israelites were arrayed for battle. Again, a picture pops in my mind from this word arrayed. If I see a big, long, giant line of soldiers, and they're all, they have the armor on, their weapons, and they're prepared to fight, and they're all psyched up and ready to go. This is what they've been trained for. They're professional soldiers. They've been trained and prepared for this moment. They're confident in their equipment. They're confident in their training. They're confident in their, their brother beside of them, right? The band of brothers, you know, got your back. We're fighting together. And it also doesn't hurt that when you look across and see the enemy way on the other hill, they look about this big. <laughs> Isn't it nice when our enemies look about this big? Things are going really well when all the enemies of our lives look about this big. But you know it doesn't stay that way, right? What happens in the story? Somebody tell me. One word. Goliath happens, right? Goliath pops out. 
And all of a sudden, everything these guys have been prepared for, everything they've been trained for, the equipment that they have ready to fight, everything changes in that moment. The rules of the battle change. The rules of engagement have changed. Goliath steps out and he issues a challenge. Hey, you know, why are we here and having all of us lined up against each other? There's a lot of people going to get hurt. A lot of people are going to die today. Why? It's unnecessary. I tell you what, I'll fight for my side and you guys pick any guy you want and he can come out and fight against me and we'll settle this thing one-on-one. All these other people don't have to die. No problem. If I win, you guys serve us. If your guy wins, we'll serve you. Not going to happen, but that's what he said. So anyway, all the rules have changed and the giant pops up and the giant is huge. He's 10 feet tall. He's got armor that weighs over 125 pounds. I mean, this guy is truly a giant, a monster that has popped up and changed the rules. Don't we all know that we have giants that pop up in our lives? All the time, right? What kind of giants do we have? We have, you know, you get a, a health problem. You have financial problems. You, lo- you lose your job. You have problems with your children. On and on and on. We have many things that look to us as giants. You know, Satan's strategy never change, changes. He doesn't create things. The same stuff he used back in Genesis, he still uses today. He attacks Adam and Eve and says, you know what? Did God really say? God's holding out on you. There's so much more. You lack something that you need. And that giant today is the same. He's going to pop up in your life and he's going to tell you what you lack. He's going to tell you what you don't have. He's going to tell you what you're not. The same thing over and over and over again. Those giants pop up in our lives and they say those things to us. But then after the giant pops up, it says in in God's word, it says those soldiers who are arrayed for battle, ready to fight, it says now they are terrified and hopeless. What happened? These are soldiers. They're ready to fight. But when the rules change, when something unexpected pops up, now they're terrified and hopeless. You're at a bad place when you've lost hope. You're at a bad place when you've lost hope. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to jump up. And it's going to look just like Goliath in our lives when those giants pop up. It's going to be big. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be intimidating. And he's going to be yelling at you. And he's going to be telling you, you don't have this. You're not this. You can't do what it is you're trying to do. You don't have enough. You lack. You lack, you lack, you lack. That is the story that he's going to tell you. But then in walks who? David. David enters the scene. In the previous chapter, he'd been anointed the king, and he'd been kind of hanging out with King Saul, but he's also been still in the, in the fields as a shepherd boy. His dad says, hey, take some food to your brother. See what's going on. So he goes up to the battle. His brother, first person he encounters, his brother sees him, his oldest brother. Again, probably some resentment and jealousy from the previous chapter when he'd been picked as the next king. His brother sees him. He's like, hey, what are you doing here? Man, what? you don't have any place here. You can't even take care of the sheep. You'd left the sheep to come up here. You just want to see what's going on. Why are you here? You know, sometimes those giants in our lives can be the people that are closest to us. Can it be sometimes our family members? You know, for sure a giant's going to pop up in your life when God calls you to do something, when God asks you to do something, when God whispers something in your ear, in your heart that he wants you to do, that giant is going to pop up and tell you that you can't do it. 
that you're not enough, you don't have enough, what you lack. And sometimes it's the people closest to us. Look at Joseph. Joseph's a great example. He got the dream. Hey, everybody's going to bow down to me. Of course, he told his brothers he probably shouldn't have told them, right? Timing is a big part of that, too. Sometimes you just hold on to this stuff and pray through it. It's not for now, it's for later. How'd that turn out for him? Not too good. But God used that still. But sometimes it's those people closest to us that discourage us because they know us the best. People in my family, they saw me growing up. They know who I am and who I've been. Oh, God called you to do this? God, you can't do that. There's no way. You're not smart enough. You don't have the right degree. You don't have enough money. On down the list, the same excuses, those same giants sometimes can be very close to us as his brother. But David's like, I'm not listening to you. I don't care what you say. Hey, and by the way, so still, tell me about this giant. You know, the giant keeps coming out and every day and he hears that. He's like, what's going on here? And the other guys tell him, well, you know, it's going to be a big reward for the guy who kills the giant. He's like, hey, I can do it. Okay, let's go see King Saul. King Saul finds out. He goes to King Saul. What does King Saul do? First thing he says, you're too young. You're too inexperienced. You can't do it. Same thing. David's feeling called to, to, to settle this score for God on God's behalf with this giant. And his brother first is, you know, first is telling him he can't do it. Now King Saul's telling him he can't do it. Another giant. You're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not big enough. You can't do it. Discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. But David is not discouraged. So King Saul finally gives up and he's like, okay, well, you know what? If you're going to do it, <laughs> fine, just do it. But let me give you this armor. Let me give you my armor a lot of different ways you could go with this. But, you know, I think it's just a, a backwards way of King Saul saying, you lack. You can't do it in who you are. You can't do it with what you have. You can only do it if you have this. You know, he's trying to give him something that the world says you need. But here's the funny thing. You think back to those soldiers who have the same basic armor and weapons and training and they're terrified and hopeless. He wants them to fight with what the world says you need to fight with. But what does David say? David says, hey, you know what? I've been out in the fields, and I have fought the lion and the bear, which to me seems like a very big deal. I'm not looking for a fight with a bear or a lion anytime soon. But in the scope of this scripture, this passage, those are small things. You know, I've been taking care of the sheep, minding my own business. The lion comes up. I feel, you know, I fight the, the bear. God helps me. I fight the lion. God helps me. When you step out in the small things and God shows up, what does that do to your faith? It builds your faith, right? So, you know, God says, hey, go whisper. Go talk to that guy over there. You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I can't talk. It's going to be weird. <sighs> okay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You go talk to the guy, and there's like, you know, find out, start talking, he's got problems, and you're able to speak into his life, or you invite him to CFA, he comes and, you know, gets saved or something. I mean, you see, okay, God, I was obedient, even when I really wasn't excited about it, but I saw you show up and do something. So now the next time God says, hey, why don't you go do this? And you're kind of like, yeah, okay, let's do it. You know, God, I want to see what you're going to do now. It builds our faith. So David was faithful in the small things, and God had prepared him in the wilderness. He had prepared him with the sheep for the place he is right now. And David says, hey, God already prepared me for this. I trust God. And let me ask you this question. The soldiers and David. Think about this before you answer the question. 
Do they see Goliath differently? I mean, not usually people are like, yes. I don't think they did. The soldiers are looking out and they see 10 foot tall Goliath. David is standing there. He sees 10 foot tall Goliath. They see Goliath the same way. But they see God differently. They see God differently. Because David has already stepped out in the small and he saw God show up and God show up and God show up. And he's not worried. My God is going to show up. And I'm not mad because this guy is, is, is hammering Israel. I'm mad because this guy is making our God look bad. And I, nobody is going to stand up for God. I'm going to stand up for God and he's going to show up and he's going to take care of this giant. I don't need your stuff. I don't need to fight with what the world says I need to fight with. I don't need to fight with what you want to give me. God has already prepared me. And God has already given me what I need to take care of this giant. And what is that? A sling and a few stones, right? Not great modern weaponry. But that's, what, that's who he was. That's, God, that's how God had trained him. That's how God had prepared him. With his faith and with the weapon that he gave him and put in his hand. And he goes out and he, he slays that giant. We all know the end of the story. But you know, for sure, like I said, those, when God calls you to do something, even like David, as we see through that story, there continues to be giants, whether it's his brother, whether it's King Saul. And every step of the, of the way, until he actually goes out to the battle, people are telling him, you're not enough. You don't have enough. And I don't know, I know there are people in a crowd this size, there are people who are here that God has already spoken something into your heart. God has been speaking something into your heart that he wants you to do, that he's calling you to do, but the giants are there. And they could be whispering or they could be yelling. You're not enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have a degree. You don't have enough money. You're not prepared. You don't know what to say. Again, it's the same stuff over and over every time. But those giants are there in your lives. And they're whispering and they're trying to keep you from doing what God has called us to do. And he wants us to be afraid. Fear paralyzes and those soldiers were paralyzed with fear. Because they saw themselves as small and they saw God as small. And that fear paralyzed them and kept them from doing what God asked them to do, right? Maybe that's you today. I got a video that I want to show you real quickly. And this video is a highlight video, kind of, we tried to cram four years of highlights into three minutes. Um, but you'll get to see a lot of the things that I talked about earlier. You'll get to see um, the Roma people, you'll get to see our, our Riverside Church, our H2O youth, you'll get to see our baseball ministry. Um, but as you watch that, I want you to think, you know, what is it that God has called me to do? What is it that's keeping me from doing what God called me to do? Because I believe today is the day that faith is going to rise up in us, just like the Holy Spirit rose up in David. That fire, that passion, and like, I'm going to do this. I don't care about the giant. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do, and I'm going to trust that he's going to show up. And I believe today is your day that that's going to happen in many of your lives as you say, tired of listening to the giant. I'm tired of people telling me I don't have enough, telling me what I lack because my Bible says that I don't lack anything, that I am complete in him. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll give me a few things maybe if he's having a good day. Nah, it says we have everything. We have all. All things will be given to us. 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. That means I don't lack anything, Right? Anyway, you guys, please watch this video. Thank you. 
Thank you guys. I want you to remember we're a part of everything that you just saw on that video. I do have some prayer cards if you want to come up to the front after the service and grab them from us. It has all our contact information, website, or you can just go to our website, buildingiskingdom.com. Lots of more information about us in the ministry than you'd ever want to know probably. But anyway, it's there. We appreciate your prayers. So I ask you, what has God called you to do? Maybe you've been hesitant to do it. Maybe you've just been holding back and a little afraid. But I want to ask you more specifically on this Mission Sunday, what is God calling you to do for missions? This church has a history of being an incredible missions church and not only touching Concord, but truly touching the world. But maybe you've never really been involved in that here at CFA. And maybe today God would say, hey, I want you to start giving to missions. I want you to be a part of, of what this church is doing around the world. Maybe, maybe you would say, hey, I want you to go on a short-term missions trip. Maybe you'd say, Hey, I'm calling you to be a missionary. The giant's going to pop up. Even if you're putting $5 in the offer plate, the giant's going to pop up and say, you can't do it. You're not enough. You don't have enough. You don't know enough. It's impossible. Don't listen to that giant. What is God calling you to do for missions today? Last question. I'm going to close with this. What has God put in your hands that he wants to use? 
God is a multiplier. God is a God who likes to take the small and make it big. Because we all, you know, my reaction would be the same as yours. It would be like, you know, I don't really have a, I don't really have much. I don't have a lot of money. Maybe I feel like I'm not that talented. But what God has given you, what God has placed in your hands, if you just say, God, here, I'm, I don't have a lot, but I'm going to give it to you. He can take that and do great things. We, we saw God in the Bible. He took a boy's bag lunch and he fed thousands of people. He took a sling. We just talked about it. He took a sling and a stone and he slew a giant. Maybe today all you have is a ball and a glove. But when you take that ball and a glove and you lay it down on the altar and say, God, here I am. That's all I have. A ball and a glove. God can do great things. There are kids in Hungary who are now in the kingdom of heaven who are saved because a few guys had some balls and gloves. Maybe you've only got a few dollars. You think, what good is it? It's not going to make a difference. You know, you realize in a church of thousands of people, if everybody puts in a few dollars, it's thousands of dollars. It does make a difference. God multiplies that and uses it. What, does, what has God called you to do and what has he put in your hands that he wants you to use? Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.